We are so, so blessed at this congregation to have the musicians that we have and to worship here. So now that Ted Lasso season two is over, I'm probably going to have to go back to watching some of the things that Charlie really likes to watch, which means anything on Bigfoot, anything that involves like some remote river with Jeremy Wade trying to catch a fish, that treehouse builder guy that builds, okay, and then sharks. Charlie is just really into sharks. And as I began to think about the sharks that I'm going to be watching, I I remembered they're just such mysterious creatures. They're, they're like so important to our ecosystem that what sharks choose to eat or not eat affects the whole ocean. They are at the top of the food chain. They are the ultimate predator. If sharks were people, it would be like the ultra, ultra rich and the ultra, ultra influential. If sharks were social media, it would be like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, bigger than that. They are the ultimate competitor. And yet, sharks have this innate awareness that they have to be in relationship and play well with others with certain fish in the ocean. Take, for example, this black reef, black-tipped reef shark. Do you see the three fish that are kind of suctioned up against it? Well, those are called remora fish. And remora fish, you know, they come up and they have this. Actually, there's two more. There's five. I just saw the other two just now. They eat the food that kind of comes out of the, the shark's mouth. And so it's a benefit for them because they just kind of coast along with the shark and they get fed. But, but the shark wants them to be there because it turns out as they are suctioned to the underbelly, they're eating the, the awful parasites can actually end up being harmful for the shark. And there are videos that show sharks slowing down so that the remora fish can attach because they, they seem to understand that they have a need. There's this symbiotic relationship between these two creatures. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that a lovely image, that huge, powerful thing at the top realizes a dependence on something so much smaller? You see, the shark should eat the remora, but it doesn't. Life has been so much since we were toddlers about competition, hasn't it? It's been about being the biggest shark trying not to get eaten by the little sharks or vice versa. For me, I remember going into middle school and I had my first tryout for a sport. There was one position and me and my best friend were vying for it. Have y'all heard of the University Interscholastic League? It was actually developed in 1910 in Abilene, Texas, and this is what they say on their website for why they were created. The UIL exists to provide educational, 
interscholastic academic music and athletic contests to public school students, the initials UIL have come to represent quality competition administered on an equitable basis. I wonder what our band folks would say about that line, on an equitable basis. You see, competition has many positive aspects for academics. I mean, as a parent, I love that my kids might want to do better at something. They might want to be better at their sport or at their instrument. It's good. Competition can be a good thing. But it really sets the way we do our relationships very contrary to the way that relationships are modeled in Scripture. Scripture speaks clearly over and over again about how we're supposed to be in relationship with one another, and it's not in a competitive way. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, tell us, how can we be the greatest in the kingdom? We want to be the shark. We want to be the number one. We want to win the UIL competition. And Jesus says, look at this child. Anyone who has humility like this child and welcomes that person, that is who is the greatest. See, Jesus took all of those things. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. He took all those things that we as a culture, as a world, as a people say will make you the best, and he turns it upside down. He's like, actually, no. The widow who only could give a mite, she had the most sacrificial heart. The child who has no voice, no power, no social standing, that is who we need to be like. What we're going to do for the next four weeks is we are going to look at the book of Philippians, where we see the Apostle Paul wrestling with this early church as we continue to wrestle today with what does it look like to be all in, to really faithfully follow Jesus, but doing it in a way that is so incredibly countercultural, in a way where a shark could be in relationship with a remora fish, and they realize the interdependence upon one another. And what the Apostle Paul is, he is writing to this church in Philippi, he realizes that they're getting caught up. They're getting caught up with someone wanting to be best, which means someone else has to not be best. And so he gives them these guidance uh, of ways that as followers of Christ, we can be in relationship with one another in a faith community in the best possible way. And that is the challenge for us. The next four weeks at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church is what does it look like for all of us to be in the best possible Christian community we can be? Before we read from Paul's letter, will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable. We know that you are here in our midst. We know that your spirit is within. And so we pray that only your word would be heard this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here now, starting at verse 27, this is the first chapter of the book of Philippians. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, 
and you are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. I love scriptures like this for us postmodern folks because I don't like doing anything that someone tells me to do unless I know the why behind it, right? You don't want to just, I mean, that's, that's like our, the, the common thing my teenagers will say back to me is why? Why? Paul gives us the why. He's about to tell us this is what it looks like to live your best life. And I'm going to tell you why. And this is what he says in verse 27. He says, this is what it is to live a life worthy of Christ. So everybody out here, you want to live a life worthy of Christ? That's the reason why. But then Paul really kind of tricks us. Because the word that he uses there for life, it's not zoe, which is the Greek word which means life as in giving a life or a person or humanity. The word that he uses there, it's only used two times in all of Scripture. And one of them is here, and Paul uses it once in the Acts of the Apostles. And the word is politic. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to start talking about politics. But he intentionally uses this word when he talks about life because he wants the listener, he wants us to know the life that I'm talking about that matters The life that I'm talking about that can truly impact what people think about Jesus is the life that you live in public. It's the life that other people see. This isn't the life that you live at home behind closed doors or in your car when you're cursing in traffic or when you're in your meditation by yourself. This is the life politic, the life lived for other people to see. And whether we like it or not, friends, As disciples of Christ, the biggest testimony, the biggest testimony that we give to the world is what they see with how we live in everyday life. It's so important for us to see this, that if we want to live a life with others to the point where our life could impact the kingdom of God for the good, then it matters how we live. And so then he tells us, how we're supposed to live. He says, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. I want to break that down for us. Standing firm in one spirit. It's standing firm. It's not stand once. It's not stand once a year on a certain day. It's not standing in a season or because of what's going on in the culture around us or because you really like the team that you're beating. It's standing firm. And it's not standing firm in your agenda. It's not standing firm in the emotions that you have at the time or standing firm in a particular opinion that you even have. It's standing firm in one spirit. One spirit. The word that's used here for spirit, y'all, it's, 
It's the same that, that Jesus uses for, for soul. It's standing firm in the spirit of love. If you look anywhere else that Paul t- talks about the spirit, he tells you about these things called fruits that demonstrate what the spirit would look like. So standing in the spirit, standing in the spirit, y'all, is, just, is standing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is what we, as a body of faith, are supposed to be standing firm in. And when we do this, we live our best life. We are most faithful to the gospel. We are most likely to impact the world in the political arena. He says, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side, striving side by side. There is a tendency in life to want to either be in front or behind. You've heard it said that there's either, there's leaders and there's followers. But y'all, that, that is not what we are called to do. We are not called to be in competition with one another. It's like we are supposed to continually be in a three-legged race. And you know how awkward that is. So it's going to feel awkward at times. I thought about all the ways that side-by-side actually is so much easier, but we forget. Have you ever tried to carry a really heavy piece of furniture upstairs? It's either really struggling for the person on top or too much weight for the person on the bottom. But if there are stairs that are wide enough where you can both be on equal footing, it is so much easier to carry that load side by side. The Greek word that's used there, it's a a compound word, but it's one word. And it literally means to do athletics or to do sports with someone. It's not one in front of the other, or someone's going to be last, or someone's going to be first. It's this relationship of one and the other. Even if one has more talent, even if one is faster, you're doing it together, side by side. How much easier, friends, is it when you know you're having to go into the hospital to have someone with you? And to know that after you get out, there's going to be someone waiting for you, side by side. How much easier is it when you're in elementary and middle school, and, and you have a buddy that goes to the bathroom with you. You just need that buddy. And I was thinking about how when I went through these periods in, high, in college when I was really trying to resist the temptation to binge drink and to party too much that I knew I could do it if I just had that one friend by my side. Side by side, it actually makes doing this faith easier. It says, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind. And that's where I bet y'all wanted to go ahead and leave because you're like, wait, hold up. There's a lot of different opinions in this room. There's a lot of different fans of different things. Some people are for, others are against insert whatever you want. That is not what Paul is saying here. He doesn't say strive side by side with one opinion, with one brain, with one idea, with one agenda. This here, this mind, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
and strength. Same word. The word there literally means breath. So when he says one mind, it's not about what you think. It's about whose you are. It's realizing that we stand together, united, not because of what our brains think or what we have been taught or what our latest agenda is, but we can stand together because we are born of the same spirit. We are born of the same spirit. Side by side, we know that all people have equal value, even if they don't know that they are born of the same spirit, even if they don't act like they are. All people have value. Standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the sake of the gospel. This past week, many in our community acted out what it's like to do this life of faith thing side by side in a way that can impact the kingdom of God. You know, several weeks ago, I think it's about seven weeks now, Afghanistan became a country that we knew would probably send refugees our way. And a number of people in our congregation rallied folks. They said, we're going to probably have a refugee family that we are able to love on, but we don't know when it'll happen. We don't know exactly what we're going to need to do. Who's in? Well, almost 80 people said, we're in. They sent gift cards. They got furniture collected. They were ready and able to help again, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Well, a week ago, A week ago, one of our church members, Patty Prater, got the call that an Afghan refugee family of 13, 11 children, two adults who had just traveled halfway across the world were coming and Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary was going to give them an apartment. So she needed to get some troops rallied. And here is a picture of our group, some in our group, who gathered a little before 8 a.m. last Monday, hand in hand, side by side, and they prayed before their day, not really knowing what was ahead of them, just knowing that there was going to be a lot of work because they had to set up bedrooms like this to make sure that there was a bed for every one of those 11 children. And, And the way the story was told to me is that they worked all day and some of them had to go ahead and go because it had come in about 2 p.m., And then sometime in the afternoon around 3.30, the family showed up. And they are the oldest, the the mother and then the oldest child there, both have a baby on their hip. It's eight months to 16 are the spread of the 11 children. And the 16-year-old had the toddler. And they're all, the, the oldest women are in full burqa, like covered head to toe. All you can see is their eyes. And Patty said they look terrified. I mean, they don't know what they're heading into. How can there possibly even be a space that can fit all of us? What, what are we headed into? And they sat there with these folks and just through an interpreter tried to build some community. Before they had left the church early that morning, Debbie Wilder said, I think we should bring a soccer ball. I mean, you know, why not? And this sums up the day. Here's one of our church members, Martha King, playing soccer with one of the boys from the family. Before they left that day, (laughs) Patty looked at the seminary representative and she said, 
if anything happens to this family, you call me first. She knew the importance that we, as a community of faith, we were all in. We were going to be side by side. When you think about it, just ideologically, we don't have the same thoughts. We don't have the same culture. We don't have the same morals agenda as this family. Oh, but we are striving together in one mind. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen. Let me pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are so faithful, that you take the motley crew of whatever we can offer and you make it into something so amazing. Oh God, that we would have courage to be true to who we are, which is more like you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.